0: Thank you. A father in an emergency. A despondent cripple. A woman filled with shame. A desperate and diseased outcast. A grieving and pleading parent. These aren't just Sunday school stories nor romantic fables or some rainbow illusions. They're historical moments in which a real and living God met real pain so you and I could answer the question, is there hope? Imagine it's a Saturday afternoon. You read in the paper, the Enterprise, that there's an art exhibit. And you haven't been to an exhibit, maybe ever, but this has a unique title. This, this art exhibit you read is called the Gallery of Grace. Because it's been a while, you see it the sign and you say, Let, let's go to that. And so you go to it and you walk up to the building and you see a sign that says, uh, Exhibit Gallery of Grace and the arrow's this way. And so you follow it and, and you walk in and it's, it's an intimate room. It's, it's really not much bigger than the actual lobby. Placed around the room are paintings, more specifically portraits. And what's interesting to you is all the easels are set up in twos. You think that's interesting. And so you walk up to the first set that you see, and you notice there's a man, he's lying on a mat with a pained and defeated look. All he has is a tattered robe. The picture next to it has the same man. With the mat on his shoulder. It looks like he's skipping down a road. And there's a caption over that second picture. The caption reads, get up. You keep moving along and you see another set of of pictures or portraits. And the first one depicts this man with a wild look. He has a contorted face. His eyes have slits. They're dark. His mouth is frozen open in a scream. You quickly look to the next portrait. Same man. But his features are soft. Eyes are gentle. His face is peaceful. And you look above that portrait, and that one's entitled, All Things Are Possible. Well, now you're mesmerized. You walk to a next set. And you see in the first portrait, a woman scantily dressed, she's cowering before an angry crowd, and it actually looks like they're going to throw rocks and stones at her. In the next picture, however, the men are gone, the stones are on the ground, and the woman now looks surprised as she stands before a man who has a warm smile. And above the portrait, you read these words, neither do I. Well, you can't get enough of these portraits. And so you walk to another set. And you see a woman in the first picture, disheveled, And you see a large crowd. And you can see tears running down her face. And and she's reaching through this crowd. and, And she seems to have someone's robe in her hand. And you look next to it. You see an amazing sight. You see a hand reach down, seems to be pulling this woman up. And she's got this amazing smile and eyes lit up, and you see above that portrait, daughter. You're amazed and you wonder, what are these portraits from? I mean, what, these are amazing things, and each pair seems to communicate a remarkable thing about a life and, and some type of transformation in the second picture. I want us for the next few weeks to stroll through a gallery, a gallery of grace. I want us together to look with wonder when Christ met people at their points of pain and desperation. I want so much for you and I to to see Jesus, to see his tender touch, to see actually the creator who paints the portraits, these portraits of hope. And the goal of these portraits is not that we simply look back with amazement. We do, but that we look forward with faith and hope and wonder, and even more look up with worship and adoration. I want to look at this, one of these portraits, one set of portraits. We find it in Mark chapter five, verse 20 through 24 through 34. and I'd like to read that right now. And let's look at this portrait. And, and I, I want to remind us right off the bat, first of all, that one of the real first steps when it comes to Bible study is observation. It's observing a text, it's answering questions of it. You can't interpret it if you don't observe it. And the longer you observe, the easier it is to interpret. And so, this next few weeks, we're going to observe, we're going to look, look with wonder. And so let's read this text, because actually the one who paints this portrait is Jesus. He is the Word. And I'm reminded of that because we don't paint Jesus. We let Jesus paint Him, self. And so we we look at a God who defines Himself not as a God we think He is, but as He really is. And so let's look at this paintbrush, this gallery, especially these first two. And a woman, or verse 24, And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. And after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately... The flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed and her, of her affliction. And immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you? And you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Let's pray. Lord, our our prayer is simple this morning. We want to see you. Lord, if we could just catch a glimpse of you. As you really are, not as other people have told us you are. Not maybe if we in our mind have painted a portrait, but Lord, as you really are. A truly incredible Savior. And Lord, what might we see cause us to look and live with wonder? And to worship you, a truly, truly incredible Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the background because the background tells us a lot. It also introduces another portrait. It's almost like you got a portrait in the middle of a portrait. Um, but if you look at verse 21 of this chapter, Jesus has crossed again um, in a boat to the other side, verse 21. So there's a great multitude gathering around it. Around him, all of a sudden, it's brought to his attention that there's an official whose daughter is near death. Jesus hears this and begins to go. It appears to this official. And so everyone's focused on this particular situation. And in the midst of it, something miraculous happens. Now, Matthew 9 and Luke 8, who are other accounts, both accounts emphasize the crowd that's pressing in on Jesus. There's a reason for that. Luke 8 says this crowd almost crushed him. And so, the Son of God is in action. There's this large crowd following him. We have the synagogue official. He's this important man, and he stands in contrast to this woman we're about to see. And he has a tremendous need. His daughter is dying. And so the focus is on this official, it's on this official's daughter, and it's on what Jesus is going to do for this daughter. And this is air of anticipation, I, th- I think. What will Jesus do? You see, the crowds have heard, that's why they're following him, of his power to touch and to heal, and his amazing teaching. And so they're kind of aware, I'm sure there's a murmur, and they're like, we got to see what he's about to do. And so they go. Now one of the important things to do as we observe Scripture is to identify characters in the story. Let's identify them. Verse 21, 24, and 30 say there's a large crowd. Okay, That's the first group. We don't know how many, we just know there's a lot of them. There's a multitude, a lot of people. And they're expecting this public miracle. That's what they're looking forward to. Verse 31 tells us, There's disciples, and his disciples said to him. One of the other Gospels accounts, specifically Peter, is mentioned, so he's one of them. We read in verse 24, Jairus is here. He's this official, and so he's part of this crowd. And then, of course, Jesus. And so these are the characters in this account that's important for us to be aware of. And so while the large crowd's expecting a public miracle, while the disciples are focused on this official and his daughter, while this official's focused on his daughter, what's Jesus focused on? There's a question. In that moment, we would assume his thoughts are captured with this official and his daughter. But there's something else going on here we're about to find. There's a zoom lens all of a sudden on this woman. She's identified, notice how she's identified, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. That's her identity. I mean, that's what Scripture tells us. Here's this woman, and she's defined by this hemorrhage for 12 years. That's her identity. The NIV says a woman who was subject to bleeding. Now, it's important we understand something in that culture in the Old Testament, Leviticus 15, 19-33, that this was probably a bleeding uterus, this chronic menstrual disorder. And the result would, this, la- this woman would be labeled unclean by Levitical law. So we got more than just a physical problem going on here. I have a friend who is a doctor. And I asked her to read this account and tell me what she thought medically. Her thoughts are very eye-opening. She says, as I read this, I'm struck by the word hemorrhage. Because it always means a lot of bleeding. Not just spotting as a woman or as women have off and on over their childbearing years for any number of reasons. She said there'd be prolonged anemia, and these patients get lots and lots of symptoms, especially 12 years. Most common is the fatigue and weakness, but this this can progress to shortness of breath, palpitations making even little efforts like walking difficult and uncomfortable. They'll have headaches, trouble sleeping, loss of appetite, and anxiety. Most of these contribute to their sense of fatigue and weakness. They become irritable, usually understandably so. They may experience dizziness and visual disturbances. They can develop gastrointestinal problems like cramping and diarrhea and nausea. They may have to put up with fainting episodes. They're usually uncomfortably cold. Aches and pains are common. Pretty interesting (laughs) from a medical doctor. So a little more insight now into this woman. But that's probably the easiest part of her suffering, believe it or not. Because of the Levitical law, she's unable to touch or be touched. Ostracized from the synagogue, shut out from the courts and temple. She would endure the judgment of that day. The judgment of that day would be any type of sickness that she had would be the result of some sexual sin, perhaps. Orphaned by society. Separated from her family, which would be hardest. So besides this constant bleeding, she bears a burden of a stigma. A stigma in that society that says you are unclean, whether it be family or anybody else in society, they can't have any contact with you lest they should become unclean. This portrait's starting to take a little different shape, isn't it? Think about this. There's no part of her life unaffected because of this. Sexually, if she's married, she could not even touch her husband. Surely they would be separated to some degree because of this. Maternally, at this point, we're not entirely sure how old she is, but maternally, she couldn't bear children. Domestically, anything she touched became unclean. Spiritually, she wasn't even allowed to go into the temple, the center of worship. Socially, there was distance, aloneness. Even from friends. Personally, can you imagine the sense of worthlessness and aloneness? Verse 26 is very revealing. She'd endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had, was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Man, if if you ever want to think of a situation called helplessness, go to verse 26. It certainly drips with that. We're told she'd endured much at the hands of many physicians, not just a couple. She'd probably gone to little towns, anyone who had any sense or any uh, inkling that they knew medically anything. I came across this Remedies of the day by physicians back then. One remedy consisted of drinking a goblet of wine containing a powder compounded from rubber, alum, and garden crocuses. Another treatment consisted of a dose of Persian onions cooked in wine administered with the summons, Arise out of your flow of blood. Other physicians would prescribe sudden shock or the carrying of the ash of an ostrich's egg In a certain cloth. I mean there was a lot of that superstitious type thing back then but she'd been to many and none of them had given her any hope. She'd spent all she had, now add financially, all the struggles she was having. She was out of money. She had nothing more. Was not helped but rather grew even worse. With each doctor her dreams died a little bit more Her hopes died a little bit more. I couldn't help but think of this woman, all alone, just wanting a little crumb of hope, and she's got nothing. She's got nothing. Let's follow along. She hears of another physician. No fee. He comes to the sick and downtrodden. He doesn't go to the well-ordered, it doesn't seem. He's heard that he likes to touch the outcast. I remember some years ago, I led a chapel at a Christian school. I asked kids to write on a piece of paper their answer to the question, if Jesus came in one week, what would you do? So these are teenagers and and, and you don't know what you're going to get with a teenager, right? And uh, so I get a bunch of cards. And several of them, you can tell when it's a teenage girl because their writing's better, right? Several of them put, I'd want to get married. I mean, that says a lot about this idea of dreaming and, 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 and what that would look like in a woman's mind. She hears about Jesus We don't know exactly from who, someone in the multitudes, maybe multiple people. We know she heard it at a distance because no one's going to get too close to her. But she snakes her way through the crowd, so to speak. In verse 27, after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. So she sneaks up from behind. Remember, she's unclean. The reason she comes from behind is she doesn't want to be seen. Considering her physical condition, she certainly shows determination. You would too when you're desperate. And that's where she finds herself. Now the word touch, verse 28, means grasp. So this crowd brushes up against her, maybe even more, jostles her back and forth, and she grasps. It's risky. Remember, she's considered unclean. And she touches him. She must touch him. Because that's her hope. And she must touch him before others get to him in her mind. But if she's recognized, she understands there's going to be a public rebuke. I'm impressed that she doesn't look backward around, but she just looks forward with great determination to Jesus. She's got no money, she's got no clear, it's no. Uh, solutions. She's got no friends. She's got no clout. All she has to offer Jesus is nothing. She's just reaching out in desperation and brokenness. Many of you probably can relate to that. You come to points in your life where you've tried everything, whatever their situation would be. And you've maybe even used the words, this is hopeless. There's no way I'll get out of this financial situation. There's no way this relationship could ever be healed. There's no way I'll ever get well from this. You can relate a little bit. And you reach out and the only thing you got is faith. And even that seems weak and fading. Now according to tradition, Jesus would be defiled by her touch. But you can't make Christ impure. He's completely pure. His purity makes ours possible. Now she has no guarantee. She hoped he'd respond. But all she really knew is he was there and she heard he was good. That's a pretty good start. Faith is not that God will do what we want. But that God will be God and do what's right. I think that's a pretty good starting place. That's why we can affirm to everyone, no matter how unclean your life may be, when we reach out in faith, God will take us as we are. And when we reach out to him in faith, he never leaves us the way we are. He changes us. He's in the, the business of transforming lives. That we can speak confidently to. Now there's this second easel. That's the first one. It's one of desperation and hopelessness and helplessness. But now a second easel. We see a picture developing. In verse 29. If I just touch his garments, I shall get well. She thought that. We read about that in verse 28. Reaches out, touches his cloak, grasps it, and immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately. It's a pretty remarkable miracle. What the doctors couldn't do for years, Jesus does in a moment. She Remember, she'd spent everything she had, all these doctors, for 12 years, Jesus does in a moment. That's power. That's power unrivaled. We've seen his majesty, Peter said, and I'm wondering if if in some of his mind were some of these moments that just define Jesus as so totally other, transcendent. This is a remarkable moment. Power leaves Jesus. Indeed, he wills it. And again, I'm reminded this is no mere man. Paul helped us understand a little bit more about Jesus as we walked this earth. He said, in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. This is no mere man. Power leaves him. And this rush of youthful health returns. But not just physical healing. That's not her greatest need. We're about to find out something else that takes place. Now she's content to slip away. Right? I mean, in her sense, she's been healed. She couldn't certainly ask for more. That's kind of what she came for. But Jesus says, Who touched my garments? It seems like Jesus is forever asking peculiar questions in a moment. But there's a purpose for this question. Perhaps Jesus is calling to the woman to let him touch and heal her heart as well as her physical body. Now, I'm I'm really struck by the reversal of this story. It begins with this woman seeking out Jesus, right? Notice how it flip-flops. Who's seeking who? Jesus says, who touched me? We find Jesus seeking this woman out. You see, faith always gets God's attention. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13, If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. Disciples have no idea. Their minds on one mission, the official's daughter. They're still there. Verse 32, And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. Matthew nine twenty two says this way, Jesus turned and saw her. This penetrating, searching gaze of Jesus. I'm sure so penetrating and so loving. This woman responds. Luke 8, 47 tells us this about this account. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling, fell down before him, and declared, in the presence of all the people, the reason why she had touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. I'm sure for one reason she declared it is I'm no longer unclean. That would have been a really important piece of information at that point. But she described this scenario. But she comes before Jesus in fear and trembling. It's, it reminds me of the disciples on the boat when Jesus spoke and stop the storm. It says they were filled with fear. This is a power, this is a presence of a different kind. They don't know what to make of it. She doesn't know what to make of it. Maybe there's also fear that rejection would come. Trembling that this power that had healed her. And so with awe, a limited understanding, she tells Jesus the truth. That would have been amazing to hear Her tell this story. And I think through her story, I'm sure punctuated by tears, Jesus reads the whole real sad story of her life, of the last 12 years especially. He knows the isolation. He knows the introspection. He knows all the insecurities. It seems like in this counter, someone's forgotten. Jairus. Remember, he was the original focal point of the whole thing. It was his daughter who was dying. All of a sudden, this account changes. The focus becomes on a different encounter. Now, think about this moment. Think about these two persons. You have the great physician, and you have a patient. Well, oh, it's more than that, though. You have him who's completely pure. And her who by Levitical law is completely impure. You have the healer and you have the broken. You have the source of true hope and you have the hopeless and you have the helpless. What an encounter. And her, ta- her touch brought together two things. Jesus and her faith. that was enough. Verse 34, these are precious words. We can't realize the impact of them. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Can we even imagine how that made her feel? No one had ever called her that, I'm sure, at least not in the last 12 years. Outcast, often when somebody was ceremonial unclean, if somebody saw her, they'd yell it, unclean, unclean, get away, back off. But no one in 12 years had ever called her daughter. I don't think we can truly understand how powerful those words are to her. With one word he says so much. Now remember her old identity, the whole account began verse 25, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, that's how she's defined. Society would have looked at her and said, unclean, stay away, she's unclean. That's what society around her would have thought. But Jesus now looks at her and says, daughter, she'd been divorced from home. She's now given a new home in God's family. Ostracized from society, Jesus calls her to come near. Remarkable encounter. What defines you as a Christian, I wonder? Have past mistakes, past sins, current circumstances, have they defined you? Have you let society define you? Or as you've come to faith in Christ, have you heard the words of God saying, you're my child. You're my loved, blood-bought daughter, son. I hope you've heard that. It's life-changing when we do. Publicly devalued, Jesus publicly values her. Literally says, go into peace. From a life of darkness, conflict, into a life of peace. Your faith has made you well. I was reminded of something here. She knows no theology at this point. And beginning faith often is uninformed. And you and I can take comfort that to come to Jesus, we don't need to have everything figured out right away. There's some things we need to believe for sure. But beginning faith doesn't have it all figured out. She didn't know much. But she knew Jesus and believed Jesus could touch her life. And she reached out in faith. And Jesus said to her daughter, let's highlight some truths. Let's learn from this portrait. Let's learn from the crowd. Maybe like the crowd, you've had brushes with him. I mean, you, you've, you've been in moments where you've really sensed his presence. You Couldn't describe it. Maybe it was a worship service, conversation. You sensed there was something of God Present. Somehow. Maybe Sunday after Sunday, you've taken part in a crowd. You've sat through a service, but you failed to reach out. In a right place, close, but yet so far from his touch. Like a crowd, I'm sure back then, their arms are folded in complacency. Their hands were so full they couldn't grasp. Their minds were so distracted they couldn't understand and see. They don't reach out this way. You see, there were other desperate in the crowd. It wasn't just her. There were others hopeless in this crowd. There were others who need a touch in that crowd. But the zoom lens is on her for a reason. Let's ask God if our arms are complacent to unfold them in an outstretched longing for him. If our hands are full, that he he might empty them. So it would be him we cling to for our salvation and hope. Let's learn from the crowd. Let's learn from this woman. This woman's faith is forged out of 12 years of suffering, disillusionment, and shattered dreams. Let's learn to lay our troubles, our hurts, our wounds Our confusion at his feet. So you and I would no longer be identified by them. But as his child. Knowing that he makes it possible to dream again. To live with hope. To by faith reach out to him moment by moment. Let's learn from the woman. And let's learn more about Jesus. I want very much for us to see our Savior as he really is. Not as somebody else has defined him. That he has no limits. That you and I would see his sensitiveness, that he's responsive, quick, full of generosity, and completely loving. Let's see his understanding that he stayed to talk to this woman. He understood her her wounds were deep. Let's see his beauty and his tenderness to take a broken and damaged life and call her daughter. He looks for you and I this morning to reach out in faith, to look with wonder, and certainly to worship with adoration. Let's pray. Maybe as I pray this morning, you... You'll agree in your spirit. Tell the Lord what's going on. Tell Him you believe. Reach out to Him. Lay at His feet all those things you've let identify you or all those things that seem to be holding you, binding you. Dear merciful physician, we come to you this morning not as part of a crowd but as individuals who need hope. I ask you to unfold our arms which have become so complacent and our hands which have become so full with stuff. Please empty them so we could reach out to you. find hope. Thank you, Jesus, that you see every hemorrhage and hurt and obstacle in my life through merciful eyes. Eyes that understand and eyes that see the whole story of my life. And thank you that I can lay my troubles at your feet and go away in peace. Thank you also, Lord, that we're able to see a little bit more of you this morning in your word. Lord, might what we have seen cause us to reach out in faith and to fall at your feet to worship you, a truly incredible Savior. Lord, this prayer is also for those who've never heard the Son of God call them daughter or son. And as you sit here this morning, you need to know that Jesus looks at you today and waits for you to reach out in faith. You say, how do I do that? You need to confess you need him. This woman knew somehow that Jesus had the answer. You need to confess you're a sinner, hopeless and helpless, and you need the power of Jesus Christ to change you. You need to ask Him to touch your life so you might know the power of His death and resurrection to forgive you. You need to give Him your life. Follow Him as Lord. You need to know based upon your confession and outstretched faith in Him that you can thank Him, that He's made you whole. That you're forgiven, delivered. and By faith in him only, a child of God. Hear him this morning as he calls you daughter, son. Your faith has made you well. Now go into peace. Lord, for every single person in this room, maybe anybody listening by tape, Help us all see you as you really are. So we might worship you more deeply and love you more fully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.